Well, I will pray also as we come to God's Word. Father, teach us to be wise with our wealth and our possessions, that we may store up for ourselves not treasures here on earth, but treasures in heaven. Amen. Well, I read this earlier this week. I read um, there's usually an unstated agreement between the minister and uh, their congregations that the minister will not speak very much about money and the congregation will give just enough to keep the church running. Um, I I do hope, however, that uh, God has been doing a work in us and among us these last couple of weeks during this three-week series. It's certainly been a blessing for me as I have prepared it. I didn't really know how much that I needed to hear God on this. So we first asked a couple of weeks ago, why should we give? And the answer being that we give because, well, God has first given us life and breath and everything else. And then he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then last week we we asked, well, how much should we give? Anyone remember the answer? The answer being... Give only what your heart says is good to give and no more. But God wants to grow your heart. And in light of all that God has done for you, for us in Christ, what is proportionate but generous? And I hope you've had a chance to reflect on that this week, uh, indeed act on that this past week. If you couldn't be with us for these last two talks, I want to encourage you to actually go online and listen to them um, because uh, they form the foundation for this, uh, this evening's talk, which is, uh, we're asking the question, who should we give to? And there's another question that I'm sort of tacking on the end, and that is, is there some sort of priority as to who we should give to? But first, who should we give to? And as far as I can tell, as far as I can see, in the New Testament, there are three broad categories, three broad groups. And the first group is actually family. The first group is family. And so we read in 1 Timothy, for example, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, most of us will read that and think, tick, my kids don't want for anything. But beware, beware. This verse does not justify indulging our kids. It's actually about meeting needs and actually not necessarily the needs of your kids either or your grandkids, but actually the needs of our parents and our grandparents. And so we've got to see this verse in context. Paul is writing here to Timothy. He was pastoring in um, a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, and just a few verses earlier, he writes this. He says, he says, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. And so, I mean, this won't come as a surprise. Well, I hope it doesn't come as a surprise. But in first century Palestine, there was no uh, government welfare, right? There was no pension. 
There was no safety net. And so if you were no longer able to work or weren't attached to someone who did, you would literally starve to death apart from, apart from the financial uh, provision of your family. And so the immediate family is called to take care of the needs of particularly their parents and grandparents who might find themselves in this situation. And yet, of course, Paul will go on there in that passage to say, look, that if a widow doesn't have a family who can do that, if, if she doesn't or he doesn't have a family member who can do that, Timothy is to put that widow on a list and she would be provided for by her church family. So 1 Timothy 5, 8 there, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a proof text <laughs> to indulge our kids. It's primarily a command to, to care for our parents and grandparents. And when you think about it, that's, that's an application, isn't it, of the fifth commandment. Honour your father and mother. And some of you, friends, I just want to acknowledge that some of you are in a season of life in which you are paying that cost right now. And it's not always a financial cost. It's not always a financial cost. It can be very costly in terms of our time and our energy. But know that as you do, as you do care for your parents, as you do provide for your grandparents, actually it says God is pleased. How wonderful is that? God is pleased when we do that. But we're not called to provide only for members of our own family. We're also called to give to the, <clears throat> to the poor and to the needy. And there are really two subdivisions here. So firstly, we are to give to the Christian who is in need. To the Christian who is in need. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, I'm not sure how that makes you feel, but that is actually the dominant theme of the New Testament among Christians. And so, for example, we read in 1 John, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, our spiritual brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Friends, it, it turns out, that old adage, uh, caring is sharing. <laughs> caring is sharing. We're to give of our time and our energy and our possessions and our table and our food and our money to those amongst us who are in material need. Now, uh, don't be fooled, right? There are those among us who are in material need. But it is true to say that given where we live, there may not be as much need as there is elsewhere. And so the call to give to Christians isn't just to give to the Christians amongst us, but also to the needs among other churches too. And we see this, don't we, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, those couple of uh, chapters that we spent a fair bit of time on the last couple of weeks where Paul calls a Corinthian church to give to the Jerusalem church about 3,000 kilometres away to people whom they would never have met before. Okay, so we're called to give to our Christian family. Secondly, though, of course we're to give to others who are in need too. Take another look at Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people 
Our concern, this is another theme of the Bible, our concern should be for anyone who is poor or in need because, well, their maker is our maker too. And so we read in Proverbs, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. Friends, all people, all people bear the image of God and so we're called to meet their needs as we have the opportunity to do so. And I just want to spend a second um, discussing some of those opportunities that we have to do just this, even here at TMPC on Tambourine Mountain. So we're very blessed here at TMPC um, to have the Bargain Centre. If you've not visited, visit. It's a base from which we're able to connect with and care for those people in our local community and often those people who are in need. Why not get involved? Or consider sponsoring a child through World Vision or, or Compassion. Many of us probably do that already. Or, or contribute to um, Operation Christmas Child. That, that's coming up again soon this year too. Or do what a member of, of this church did um, a little while ago, <coughs> who instead of selling their second car, they decided to give it to a family in need down on the Gold Coast. They didn't need the extra money. Okay, so we're to give to one family, to the poor and needy, but finally we're also called to give to gospel ministry and there are really two sort of areas here too. And those two areas are the local church and also beyond the local church. So first the local church. We're going to begin by looking at a few verses in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus commissions, he commissions 72 other disciples to sort of itinerant ministry. And we're going to pick it up from Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And this is what he tells them. He tells them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. All that to say is that it's actually Jesus who initiates the idea that the gospel worker is to have their material, material needs met by the people who benefit from their gospel work. <clears throat> and Paul picks up on this, doesn't he, in that passage that we, we considered last week in 1 Corinthians where he says this, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And so that principle, not the law, because we're not under law, we're under grace, but that principle that existed in the Old Testament, that's the tithing to provide for the material needs of the Levites, is to be used in our time uh, for those set apart for gospel ministry. Most people, okay, either have in the past or even are now working to earn a living, to put food on the table and so on. But people like me, I'm hoping you're aware of this, but people like me don't do that. We're set apart to give ourselves wholly to the work of the gospel and we're only able to do that because people like you give to the local church. 
Now, TMPC is unique. I'm sure you've figured that out by now. It's unique in more ways than one. But it's unique in that we have a second income stream, if you want to call it that. We have a second income stream in the bargain centre. And the bargain centre contributes right now around 40% of our total income. In the past, it's contributed more than that, actually. But this year, it's contributing around 40% of our total income, which is a real blessing. I want to stress it's a real blessing. And we're so thankful to those who work down there and who volunteer down there. However, it's also a real danger. It's also a real danger in that we can begin to think that, well, we don't need to give or we don't need to give as much to the local church. So I want to suggest that its income can be used for all sorts of different things, all sorts of very good things. However, if we are wanting to put on another gospel worker, right, another pastor, and you've expressed your, even your desire to make that happen, if, if this church is going to put on another gospel worker, another pastor, we really need to provide for that person and their family in our giving. That's a pretty clear New Testament principle that I think we need to be mindful of. As it stands, we would need to see our regular giving increase to cover all our staffing costs <clears throat> if we were to put on someone else full time. And friends, uh, the, the session, the elders that we, and COM actually are planning, we're praying to this end. We want to build a team of workers here who are set apart to lead us in making disciples of Jesus and growing disciples of Jesus. And to do this, there are actually other certain physical realities that exist for us here at TMPC that require money also. So in the Old Testament, uh, there was this something called the temple tax. It was sort of like our building and maintenance fund in that it was used to sort of um, for the upkeep of the temple, etc. Now, we're not under law. I've already said this. We're not under law. We're under grace. Last week's talk. But likewise, we have this property here to maintain. And increasingly, there are expenses to, to maintain it. And God willing, as we grow, as we see people come to Jesus, God willing, as we grow, not only maintain, but to extend and to renovate, to accommodate the flood of disciples that we're going to see made here on the mountain. Quick shout out to Yarra Bilba. We're our Yarra Bilba folk here this evening. They're spread around. There's a, I can see a few families. Quick shout out to Yarra Bilba. Um, we now have around uh, 20 people, right, kids and adults, coming up from Yarra Bilba to TMPC every Sunday. How amazing is that? It's fantastic. And we welcome you. We, we really do. We welcome you. We love having you um, here. You know, it's estimated that Yarra Bilba, its population in the next 15 to 20 years, could be 45,000. 45,000. Just at the foot of the mountain. With no established church. Friends, I would love, I would love to see us plant a church down in Yarrabilba. I'd love it. But even that's going to cost money. 
Nowadays, it's getting more and more difficult for churches to meet in school halls, etc. For a variety of different reasons. <clears throat> Increasingly, churches need to get money together to buy land and to build buildings. Now, at this point in the series, I'm going to get real practical for a moment. It's been a reasonably practical talk, but now we're going to... Uh, I suppose this is where the rubber hits the road. We've just been thinking about how we're called to give to our local church to support gospel workers and gospel work. And I want to encourage you to do so intentionally and regularly. Doing so regularly, it always results in our giving more than if we just give as we sort of feel like it or give as even we remember. And this also means that even if you're away on holidays, for example, you're also... um, giving to the work here. Remember when Paul urged the, the Corinthians to give to the poor in Jerusalem, he says, what does he say? He encouraged them to be prepared by setting aside a, a regular amount. Now, one of the most practical ways that you can do this nowadays um, is by direct deposit. Not only is it more secure, but actually it also helps our elders and our COM. Our COM is our Committee of Management It helps our elders, it helps our COM plan. So that is, if we know roughly what is coming in or what what might we expect in any given week, in any given month, it actually allows us to move forward with certain plans. Now, you might prefer to give in church, in person. That's fine. Continue to do so. If Consider using the the plan giving giving envelopes um, to help you be consistent in this. And let me put something else to you. This might seem a bit radical. But there's no reason, no reason why we shouldn't consider giving to our local church in our wills, right, through bequests. Churches have been able to make enormous strides forward because of generous bequests. It's one way, actually, that you can invest into ministry way into the future. Who knows, God might be good enough to let you be a part of planting Yarrabilba Presbyterian Church. We're also called to give to gospel ministry beyond our local church. So in the New Testament, think of Paul, right, who received um, support from churches for his missionary journeys. And there are other examples of this sort of thing happening too. And so we want to invest in gospel ministry beyond ourselves, beyond the local church. Now, it just so happens that in giving to TMPC, you are actually investing in gospel ministry around Queensland because a very small percentage of our giving giving goes to things like church planting. However, there are lots of other ways to do this. So, for example, we set aside a certain amount every year in the church budget um, to support missionaries. Now, you might have a relationship with a missionary family already. And if so, I want to encourage you to continue to pray for them and give to them. But there are opportunities here if you're interested in helping us do this together better. Let me share with you for a moment what Miriam and I do. Um, we give to church, yes. Around 75% of our giving goes to, goes to church. But we also um, give to two parachurch ministries. That is ministries that <coughs> support the local church but are not the local church. And the first is called Quizworks, which is a ministry to children. Uh, it reaches 
about 100,000 kids every year around Australia uh, with the good news of the gospel. And most of those kids are in public schools. What a tremendous ministry. It actually started in my home church in Sydney, and so it's very close to our hearts. We also support a friend who is working for a ministry called City Bible Forum, uh, which seeks to equip workers all around Australia to share Jesus in their workplace. So many worthy causes, so many worthy gospel causes. So there are the three main categories, right? Who should we give to? One, family. Two, no particular order, by the way, yet, anyway. One, family. Two, the poor, the needy. And three, gospel ministry. But my next question is this. Should we uh, prioritise somehow? Should we prioritise in our giving? And if so, what? Christians, for example, we've long wrestled uh, with uh, whether to give to social justice causes or, or gospel ministry causes. It doesn't have to be either or, by the way, but come with me um, to Mark chapter 1. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Mark chapter 1, not, not long. I'll have some of the verses up here on the screen. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus has just been on a healing spree, okay? He's just been on a healing spree. But then in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we read this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. He could have cured them all. He could have cured them all. But instead, he leaves some people in their material need and prioritises the preaching of the spiritual word. And then a few days later, literally a few days later in Mark's uh, account, in Mark chapter 2, the the, the paralysed man is lowered from the roof. Do you remember that episode in Mark chapter 2? He's lowered through the roof in front of Jesus and, and what does Jesus say? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus knows that he has a greater need than what first meets everyone else's eyes. And that is his spiritual need. Now, he does go on to heal him, doesn't he? He does go on to heal him. But he does it so that people would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That is why he says he does it. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And friends, it is the forgiveness of sins that is the most significant thing that is happening in the world today. That's the most significant thing that is happening in the world today. As the gospel is proclaimed, God calls people into his kingdom and then prepares the people for eternity. Because one day Jesus will return. And when he does return, there is going to be this great divide, this division. And sadly, those who continue in rebellion against God will be separated from his presence for all eternity. So there is nothing more significant than the uh, preaching of the work, uh, the work and the preaching of the gospel around the world. And friends, get this. God has called each of us, all of us, 
to be his co-workers to that end. And we can be involved in all sorts of different ways. There's the giving of our time, our energy, our experience, our expertise. But we're also called to put our money where our heart is. And that is to have people safe from their sins. The felt need is real, but it takes eyes of faith to see a far greater need. One author writes this, it's not because the spiritual is more important than the physical, it's because the eternal is more important than the temporal. Those in physical poverty, they need our love and they need our care now (laughs) and we should give it to them. We should give it to them. But their eternal spiritual destiny is more important than their current physical poverty. And I'm not sure whether you've ever thought about this or not, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, the state, our governments, etc., as well as non-Christians, meet some of the material need we see around us. They'll give to those causes. But only Christians will give to support the work of a local church or parachurch ministries or missionary agencies. And you can be sure that TMPC is the one place that you can give that no one else is going to. We are living in the richest moment in the history of the world. In one of the richest countries in the history of the world. So we must ask ourselves, how can we be rich toward God? How can we sort of direct our finances in a way that will store up for ourselves, not treasures here on earth, but treasures in heaven? Proverbs 11 verse 4 says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So let's consider how it is that we can advance the cause of the gospel. For it's in the gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed. Martin Luther is reported to have said that a believer goes through three conversions. The head, the heart, and then the wallet. I'll continue to pray that we here at TMPC become thoroughly converted. I'm going to close this talk and the series with these words from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I've been holding off sharing these words until now. 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Friends, let's not fool ourselves. We are rich. We are rich. But let us not become rich fools, but rich toward God, who invites us to participate in his great work of calling people into his kingdom and preparing a people for eternity. It's good news. 
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this series where we've been able to consider what your word has to say to us as to a very important topic, a very significant topic for many of us, and that is money, our wealth and our possessions. Father, I thank you for speaking to us through your word. I pray that your word might uh, seep down into every nook and cranny of our lives, that we might be generous givers and wise stewards of all that you have given to us. And we pray that, that this might bear much fruit for your glory. Amen.